0: Genesis 12, uh, 1-9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And what went with him? Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord. That he appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the east, uh, the west, and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. But and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Here in the book of Genesis, we have just hit a major transition in the story and the flow of Genesis. Genesis 1 to 11 is very different from Genesis 12 uh, to 51 or 52. I should have written it down. 50, wrong on all counts. Uh, before uh, we seem to uh, zoom out, we were dealing with the creation of the entire universe as as far as you can zoom out on the creative universe, that's what we did. We dealt with the creation. Uh, we zoomed in and we dealt with the creation of humanity. Uh, we continue to zoom in as we saw the story of human civilization and then the cataclysmic event of the Flood. And with each story, we're zooming in and zooming in until we find ourselves here on one of the most unlikely characters, imaginable, Abram. We've zoomed in on him. And we're going to be dealing with Abram for quite a while, because he is a very important figure. In fact, he's perhaps the most important figure in all of the Bible besides Jesus. And Abram is the man you want to think of when you want to know what trusting the Lord looks like. He's the guy that you want to say, ah, yes, Abram, that's what this looks like. And what's amazing about Abram is that the more you get to know him, the more you spend time in the scriptures, you're going to find out that he's a very human character. He's very real. He's got a lot of flaws. But yet there is something that sets him apart from others. And that is this word, faith. Faith. He wasn't perfect. He didn't get everything right. But he was in the hands of an almighty God. He's very relatable, very relevant to us. And so I want to explore today three things about Abram that we can see from this passage. One, he's an unlikely man. Number two, he's an obedient man. And number three, he's a tempted man. So let's, let's go through those. Number one, an unlikely man. Abram's family, it's a bit of a mixed bag. You've got a, bit of a few interesting characters in Abram's family. And it isn't without its fair share of misery and heartache. It doesn't matter what family you belong to, everyone gets their fair share of misery and heartache. And we can look um, at, his, at his family. We actually have to go back to Genesis 11. I read it last week, Genesis 11, 27 and 32 Pay close attention. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred. Oh, interesting. Got some death. They live in Ur the Chaldeans. We continue, and Abram, and Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Another thing to pack away in the back of your mind. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Abram's brother, Haran, it says, died in the presence of his father Terah which is to say the father outlived the son. And it is always a travesty when a parent outlives their children. And Haran grew up to adulthood. We know that because he is the father of a few people. And one important figure is Lot. He's the father of Lot. And Lot is an important figure because he's the only one left in the lineage of Haran. He's someone they're taking care of, someone that's really important because he's their only link to their dead brother. And so Abram takes him under his wing. Abram cares for him when he needs it. And another thing that is interesting is that after Haran dies, they begin to travel. Terah takes his son Abram and his grandson Lot and they move from Ur to the, and they're going to the land of Canaan. But they're stopped. They come to this fertile area of Haran. They settle there and they name their, that area after the son who died. So this area is now named after this son who obviously left a huge impact on the family. And the text also mentions that Abram has a wife sarai and she's barren she can't have kids she has no children which is ironic because abram actually means in hebrew exalted father they had big plans for abram the firstborn son and well he can't live up to his name exalted father means nothing if you don't have any children and abram is without children looking after his nephew and it is there in haran his father dies and the family is at a crisis point the family has gone through their fair share of misery and to leave where they are is a big deal but it's worth noticing that there is actually nothing about Abram that would make him important that I just read there's nothing about him that would make you go oh yeah this guy stands out as someone that God would pick his wife is barren he's a pagan he travels with his elderly father who dies in Haran and all he has left is his nephew Lot and if you know anything about Lot he's, <laughs> he's got some trouble there with that little nephew of his But Abram was on a mission. God had called him to go. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He was called to leave his country, his kindred and his father's house to a new land, a land that the Lord would show him. And already we see that God is requiring from Abram a great deal of trust. What would it take for you to leave everything behind and go to an undisclosed land? You just have to travel and hope that somewhere along the way God is gonna tell you where it is. And in Haran, Abram had acquired workers, He'd acquired herds, it was no small matter. To do this was a huge thing. He had to leave behind his old life, his old ways, his traditions and beliefs and values and head out into the unknown. And with him, he had to take this whole entourage there were a huge amount of people. It was no small matter. It's a huge logistical feat. It had a great deal of trust in God. It wasn't like, you know, you're 20 years old, you're in the fresh, fresh part of your life, you're thinking about uni, then God calls you to be a missionary somewhere in Cambodia and you're like, oh yeah, I'll do it. You got, you got not much tying you down, do you? Abram had a lot tying him down. Oh, a lot tying him down. That's you know, like Gary joke right there. Got him. <laughs> he was moving almost 2,000 kilometers by foot. It's impressive. My neighbor's chicken flew into my backyard. I spent about 20 minutes trying to round up this chicken until the neighbor's five year old daughter climbed over the fence and got it for me. I would not be able to logistically deal with what Abram had to deal with. It was a logistical nightmare. You had to go into you had to, herds and people, into territories where you don't even know the language. Huge deal. I'll show you a map real quick. Hopefully you can see it. He's going all the way from Ur. You see that in the bottom corner over there? That used to be a coastal town. The water actually went all the way up to Ur. Modern day, it's a lot further out. But he had to move all the way out to Haran, pretty, pretty decent distance, and then all the way down to Shechem. Can you see where Shechem is? big deal. It's like from here to Adelaide or something. I mean, I didn't, I didn't look it up. Probably don't quote me on that one. We're talking about probably a thousand people, probably more actually, because we know later in Genesis 14, Abram's able to field himself an army of 318 fighting men. So if he's got fighting aged men, there's a lot more that goes along with those guys. And so with all these tasks set before him, I wonder how often Abram looked back on the city of Ur or Haran and longed to be back there longed to be back with permanence longed to be back with comfort longed to be back where safety is security and permanency But if he stayed You would never have heard his name Abram would mean nothing to you We would not be reading him right now if he stayed in that city, but he went he went And if he stayed in the city, his legacy would have remained the same as his father before him. But God had a monumental plan for Abram. One of the hugest plans that God ever had for any human being that ever lived. And a plan that Abram had no idea the meaning or importance. And what was the plan? I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great. That checks out because this all came true so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram, the man with no children would be the father of a great nation through which would come a blessing, a blessing that will, uh, all the families of all the earth would come underneath this blessing and be blessed by it. And God picks Abram, the least likely God, uh, least likely guy to make into a great nation. I mean, seriously, Abram, this guy, the dude with no children, The son of an idolater with a barren wife who is past childbearing age and a nephew that causes all sorts of grief and problems for him. This guy, this is the one you want, God. And God says, yes, this is the man for the job. Don't think for a second that Abram wasn't thinking the same thing as we are. When God calls him to it, do you think he was like, oh, yep"? No, he was thinking, what on earth? How is this going to come into existence? How will this work itself out? Why me? I'm a nobody. No prospects. Doesn't sound feasible. And what does Abram do? Verse 4. So Abram went. He got up, packed up all his stuff, packed up all his tents, and he went. As the Lord had told him. Leads us to our second point. He was an obedient man. God called Abram and he went. And it didn't matter that it was a large operation. It didn't matter that Abram had to move uh, over a thousand people, over 2,000 kilometers. God called Abram and he went. And verse four, so he went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarai, his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And then when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And we know Abram as the father of faith for good reason. We don't just throw that phrase around, we don't just pretend he's the father of faith because Paul talks about it heaps in Romans, even though that would be true regardless. But we know for a fact he's a man of faith because of what he does. He shows us what it means to trust God, to take a step into the unknown, knowing that God will be with him. And obedience is just that. Often it's a step out into the unknown, knowing you are in the hands of a good God. Have you ever had kids, you try to tell a kid what to do and the kid says, why, why, why? And then you explain to them why. And if the reason is good enough to them, then they'll obey you. Well, is that really obeying? It's actually accepting, right? It's just accepting, uh, agreeing almost with what the parent is saying. Bet the kid is asking the parent to negotiate with them. And often we come to the Bible and the things that the Bible commands us to do, and we won't do them until God gives us a really good reason to do it. Are we obeying God, or are we are just agreeing with God? We just got to get you know, God, can you convince us, please? Can you just tell us why this is a good idea, and then maybe I'll do it? That is not obedience. That's called agreeing. And God does not call us to agree with him. He calls us to obey him. And in things of scripture where you struggle with or you don't know whether or not it's going to bless your life, trust God. Be like Abram. Take a step into the unknown. And after all this time, all this effort, Abram comes to the land of Canaan. This is the land that God's going to give him land of Canaan. Everyone doesn't know it yet, but there's a problem. Verse 6, the Canaanites were in the land. That's a big problem. You got a whole nation in there. This is the place you're going to give me? Imagine traveling, traveling all this way, and then the land that God is going to give you is occupied. Someone else has it. All that effort, all that way, and if you didn't trust God, you'd be quite disillusioned. You'd be pretty upset. You'd be like, what on earth? I came all this way. Now there are Canaanites here. But then God says to him, verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. This is the land I will give you. And Abram looks around and goes, Old mates over here, there's heaps of things going on. This land? No, he says, he worships. Because it says, He built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. What is Abram's response? Worship. He moves on to the hill country, east of Bethel, pitches his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he builds another altar and he calls upon the name of the Lord. He knew that God would come through. He trusted that God was powerful enough to make this come true. God was going to come through on his promise. And Abram did what any good ancient man would have done at his time. He builds an altar and he sacrifices an animal to God on that altar. And yet, despite this, God's promises are still a far way off. And so we've got a lot of things to add to the list for Abram as to whether or not this promise can actually come into existence. He's got no offspring. The land is occupied. It's interesting. It's like God is stacking the odds against himself, making it harder and harder for this thing to come true so that when it does come true, God is shown to be all the more glorious. God is shown to be all the more amazing in the way that he can bring these things into existence. And it speaks volumes about Abram's character that he responds with worship. So how, how do we do when things look tough? How do we do when God tells us that he's going to give us a land and we travel 2,000 kilometers and we find out the land's occupied? Do you worship? Abram can, te- can teach us a lesson. He builds not one but two altars The Lord, And a very interesting phrase shows up. He calls upon the name of the Lord. Abram is now a devoted follower of God. He's come on a journey, but he's arrived. He's a believer. He's a believer in a world that has largely abandoned belief in God. Now, we know that there are some pockets of believers around the place. It's not just Abram. He's not the one man in the world that follows God, but he's in a minority. We, we run into this other guy named Melchizedek, and he's a priest of the Lord. We'll, we'll deal with him when we get to him. There are other people around, but Abram now becomes a follower of God. He becomes a follower of the God that will soon to be, become known as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we haven't seen this phrase begin to call upon the name of the Lord. We haven't seen this phrase Since Genesis 4, do you remember Genesis 4, verse 26? At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. We haven't seen it until now. Abram abandons his pagan legacy, devotes himself to the one true God. And it was at this moment that he has left his father's house behind. He left it behind thousands thousands of kilometers ago, but he brought it with him. And now he leaves it behind and he's following this God. He has left behind the gods of his father's house. He leaves behind his kindred and he begins to live out this new legacy. Abram has a new legacy now. He's a fully convinced believer. He sees the challenges facing God's calling on his life and he responds with praise. Now when struggles and issues come and face me, do you know how I respond? Probably with some feverish anxious prayer or I just get disillusioned, I kind of just give up and I just float around for a little bit until God does something else and I'm like, oh yeah, God is still with me. Pfft, I just need to believe the scriptures, but Abraham, nah, he's, he's a much better man than I am. He believes, he responds with obedience, he responds with joy, he responds with worship. We have a lot to learn from this man. But don't get Abram wrong. This man is very flawed. Leads me to my third point. Attempted man. We see that Abram's a firm follower now of the Lord, which is why verse 9 is very confusing. Did you notice it? And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Where are you going? He was back there. That was where Canaan was. Why are you traveling to the Negev? Why is he going there? The Negev is a desolate, dry wilderness with little in the way of sustenance. I'll get the map back up. You see where Kadesh is? Kadesh is right in the middle of the desert of the Negev. He keeps going down. It's the wilderness that separates Canaan from Egypt. Well, spoilers, we're going to find out next week why he goes, because there's a famine in the land. There's a famine, that's why he went. And the famine forces Abram to go south into Egypt to search for food, yet he has to pass through the Negev. You might be thinking, why on earth, Cody, are you bringing this up? This sounds like a little minor point of geography of how Abram was traveling not just a pit stop this is more than a pit stop it's a little bit of foreshadowing a little bit of foreshadowing whenever we hear someone going into the wilderness our ears should perk up we should think for a second this is the first time this is happening in the Bible actually there is another time when Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden and they're forced out of the garden But it becomes a common theme throughout all of Scripture, that when God calls someone, they go out into the desert and face temptation. And the desert symbolizes temptation. And when anyone is called by God and buys into his mission, they face a moment of temptation and they go out into the desert For instance when israel is uh, is rescued from egypt and they're rescued from slavery and they're pushed out into the desert they wander for 40 years going in these big circles all around the desert why well that was their 40 years of temptation which they failed when christ is baptized and receives the holy spirit what happens to him after that when he's commissioned by god for his ministry he goes out into the desert for 40 days and is tempted by satan well abram He's going to face the same thing he's going to be tested he was going to be tested and he passes through the wilderness into Egypt and immediately we realize that something is going to happen some temptation is going to face him and it's often that way for us when you become a Christian when you follow Jesus for the first time you've got a target on your back now you've just Signaled to the kingdom of darkness that I have now stepped outside of that and I'm going this way You now become an enemy of theirs, and they do not like it They're gonna ramp up all of their temptations The demons are gonna ramp up all of their efforts to snatch that seed that was sown That moment of temptation is always there for everyone who is used mightily by God and he tempts us in many ways He tempts us from by keeping us home from church see some people they buy into the message of the gospel and then they're gone you're like wow what happened i've had people say yes jesus rose again from the dead i believe in jesus i trust in him and then they're just gone temptation came and they're gone and i'm just thinking ah that's so sad like it breaks my heart when that happens sometimes he tempts us by making us disconnected from our brothers and sisters he can keep us lost in idleness have you ever had that, too much time on your hands? I know when I've got too much time on my hands, I don't usually tend towards righteousness. I tend towards temptation. Satan knows where you're weak, and he doesn't play fair. He doesn't care. He doesn't think, oh man, they've had a, they've had a tough week. They've had a tough week. I'll give him a break this week. No, he's like, that is the week I'm going to nail them. That's the week I'm going to get them. He hates you. He will destroy you. He'll hit you hardest where he knows you will crumble. He will get you, and every temptation has to be walked alone, that desert has to be walked alone, but we have an advantage that Abram didn't. We have the body of Christ around us to strengthen us, encourage us, correct us. Abram was floundering as a new believer in God. I'm sure Abram's got a target on his back now. You know, Satan's looking out for that seed of the woman that's going to come and crush his head and he knows God is doing something now with this guy named Abram. Let's get him. Where's he going to get him? Right where the promise is, in his offspring. We're going to find that next week. But Abram, you know, he lived in a lawless world without restraint, surrounded by violence. It's very easy to waver in that world. Very easy to waver in that world. Very easy to no longer trust God in that world. It was easy to fear. And Abram was traveling through the desert of temptation. He comes to Egypt. We're going to see how Abram stacks up to that temptation. But we're all like Abram. Although Abram was the father of faith, he wasn't the father of perfect faith. We must remember that. He represents us all. All of us who have put our faith in God, we often falter and struggle. We take our eyes off the prize. But our hope is in God, it's not in ourselves. If there's one thing that we can take away from Abram, it's this God called Abram and he went. If you can take that that's all you get that God called Abram and he went you will get a lot from this and all throughout the Bible there's this repeated theme when God shows up to people he tells them to go he tells them to go whenever God shows up it's to deliver a mission to give a plan to articulate a purpose this is who you will be when God shows up in your life when God shows up to Noah what does he say he says go build a boat when Moses sees this burning bush It's not so that God can be like, hey, Moses, I'm real. You need to go back to your people. No, he says this. He says, go to Egypt. Demand that Pharaoh release my people. When God shows up to Joshua, he says, go over the Jordan into the land I'm giving you. When God shows up to Gideon, he says, go and save Israel from the hand of Midian. When God shows up to Jeremiah, he says, to all whom I send you, you shall go see words showing up again and again go whatever I command you you shall speak when God calls Isaiah he says go and speak to my people and when Jesus shows up in the lives of Christians he says go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you every Christian that is commissioned by Jesus and is transformed and believes are sent Jesus says to them, Go. And it's the same way that God has called Abram to leave family and kindred and land behind. So does Christ call you to leave all behind? He says it again and again and again. Do you think that it's in a vacuum? He's talking, he's, he's conjuring up themes of Abram, right? Leave it behind, follow me. You've been given a ta- task, Christian. You have been given a task. Your task is the expansion of the kingdom of God. That is your task. You have been called to go to the nations. Jesus didn't just save you so that you could have personal salvation, although that you do. He saved you so that you could bear fruit. Jesus speaks it again and again and again that you can bear fruit. Wherever you are, God has decided to place you in that situation. Wherever you are, whatever your workplace is, your family is, your neighbourhood, whoever's around you, he chose you to go there. He didn't choose me, because if he did, I would be there. He didn't choose anyone else, because if he did choose them, they would be there. You are there. You are there for a reason. You are not there by accident. God chose Abram, even though Abram was the most unlikely candidate possible. If you feel like the most unlikely candidate to reach the people that God has sent you to, you're in good company. Welcome to the heroes in the Bible. When Abram was called, he went. He was obedient to the call of God. And you have the same call of God from God that Abram did. You have the same call. Go and bless the nations. Bless them with the only message of salvation that there is. The only message of salvation that can save the death and resurrection of Jesus for them when He died for their sins and He swallowed them up and rose again so that we could have eternal life. God will have the nations because they are His and you are proof of that. If indeed you are called by God, then you need to start thinking of yourself as a called man or a called woman. When you go through the valley of temptation and suffering and tribulation, you have your church by your side. We're going to back you up. We're going to get through this. In our mission, we have a benefit that Abram didn't have, and that is each other. Let's be that church. Alone, we are a smoldering wick, isolated, vulnerable to the devil, but together we are a roaring fire that will burn so brightly that this area will see Jesus. This fire will make Satan tremble. Did you know before today that you were called by God? Did you know before today that God would use you to bless the nations? How are you going with that? What temptation is overcoming you? What's getting in the way? Is it fear? You're just too afraid to talk to anyone. You're too afraid to put yourself out there. Is it apathy? You just don't care. Really, you just don't care about people. You don't care about their plight. And you know that you're supposed to, but it's just really hard to care. Are you lost in hidden sin? Is pride in the way? These people don't deserve it. Look what they've done. Is, that, is pride getting in your way? Do you feel superior to people around you? All of those are lies. And all of those of the temptation that you are walking through, come out the other side of that desert. Come out the other side of that desert. Will we allow our church to walk through the desert and give into temptation, or will we give our lives to the expansion of God's kingdom here in the Hunter? Abram is an unlikely character. And man, I'm looking around at this church and it's got some unlikely people here too. But we can do it through the gift and the powering of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful passage we've just read. We see this man, Abram. And often when we read your scriptures, Lord, we just read over these verses and we don't see the the value in these things and the value and the promise that you've given to Abram, Lord. But we know that Abram is a man of faith and he's a man that trusted you. He's a man that went even though it was hard. And Lord, we haven't had to do anywhere near as much giving up as Abram did. We don't have to move. We don't have to lead a thousand people over a perilous journey. Lord, then why is our faith so weak and our courage so small? Lord, you know what is going on in the hearts of these people. And so I pray, Lord, that your spirit spirit would be doing what is necessary, Lord, to convict them, to show them the truth, to show them what's necessary in following you. Lord, as they sing this next song, would these words be a battle cry? Would it give them all the energy that they need to go out into this world? And Lord, would we see the hunter won for Jesus? Lord, you have chosen us to reach it. And Lord, you know how weak we are. But in our weakness, you can show your strength. Please, Lord, we pray. Give us this area in Jesus' name. Amen.